Good morning, everyone. Woo, sound awake this morning. Anybody tired today? Raise your hand. Yeah. Hey, you, 20 minutes or so, you can take a little nap if you want. <laughs> After I'm done, not while I'm preaching. So. Yeah. This last Sunday when I came over and, and uh, visited with you and shared with you, which, uh, by the way, I do like hanging out with you. I don't come just because I'm bored, but I do like uh, hanging out with you. Um, Last Sunday, I left here and got in the car and drove to Savannah, Georgia after church and stayed the night and got up the next morning, drove to Ocala, Florida for some meetings, spent about three hours there, got in the car, drove three more hours south to Longboat Key, Florida, stayed the night there, got up on uh, Tuesday morning, did a wedding on the beach at Longboat Key, walked off the beach, got in the car, drove back to Savannah, stayed the night, got up on Wednesday morning, drove to Chatham, Virginia, had some meetings there from 12 to 3.30 and then got in the car and drove back to Parkersburg and got up Thursday morning and went to a meeting at uh, my job and uh, somebody looked at me in the middle of the meeting and said, uh, you don't seem to really be here today. <laughs> and, and I said to them, I'm not. I'm kind of in a fog today. As a matter of fact, I'll see you guys later. I'm going home. I need some recliner time. Anybody ever need some recliner time in their life? You ever get there, you're just tired and you just have done enough? Well, well we're going to talk a little bit about that today in relationship to our spiritual life, in relationship to the church. Years ago, I was listening to someone do a, a class, a training in a church, and they said this. They said, you know, most people in the church want to operate the church like the love boat. You all remember that, that, that show? You know, and if you don't remember the show, just think of a modern-day cruise ship. And on a cruise ship, there are about 20% of the people that work really hard so that the other 80% of the people on the boat can have a really good time. They can say, this has been a wonderful trip, and I, I enjoy this, and I want to come back again. But they said, in, in all honesty, a church should not be operated like a cruise ship. It should be operated like a battleship. And the fact is, is you don't get on a battleship unless you have a job. And if you're on a battleship, you've got a role that you're supposed to play to make that work and, and to accomplish its mission. I've thought about that all through my life, how true that is. And the fact is, I've been coming over here for however long it's been now, last September, I think, when I came over for the first time. And, and i got to tell you that I am incredibly proud of who you all are as a church. When I look at the things you're doing in the community and the, the difference that you're making in the world, it really is nice to be able to see a church that has a heart for their community, a heart for the people that don't know Christ, a heart for the people who have needs that they can meet, and then doing something about it. But we got to make sure that it's not only 20% of the people that are doing all the work, because guess what happens? You're going to find yourself in some real need of recliner time. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the church of Sardis and to kind of finish up looking at these churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And, and I hesitate even to go to Sardis because it's so incredibly negative. It's like the other ones have been, hey, you guys are doing pretty good at some things, but you need to tweak this a little bit. You need to get your first love back. You need to, to do these things. Remember where you came from, but Sardis really is not in a good place. Go with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, and listen to the words of the Lord to this church in Revelation. It says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you today and, and we hear this, this scripture that just seems so incredibly negative. But in reality, Lord, we know that sometimes we just need to hear the truth. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. Sometimes, Lord, we've worked so hard that we've burned ourselves out and we just can't go anymore. Sometimes we really haven't worked hard at all and we've let everyone else do the deeds that you call us to do and, and we haven't fulfilled our role. Whatever the situation might be, Lord, I pray today that, that this message comes to the heart of each of us individually and also to the heart of this congregation as a church. That, Lord, we would learn from it what we need to learn and hear what we need to hear and become more of who you need us to be. Wake us up if we need to be woken. Lord, help us just to understand that we need to, as the song said that we sang at the beginning of the service, we need to realize that we're called out of that grave. Realize that there was a time when we were breathing but not alive, and that's not who you want us to be. Make us alive today, Lord, individually and as a congregation. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I, I go to Canada every year fishing. I've shared that with you guys. And, and uh, the people that own the camp that we stay in uh, years ago, they sold it years ago. But the guy uh, would run around on a Kawasaki mule all day drinking a, a Molson beer and talking to everybody in the camp. And his wife would work herself to death trying to get everything done around the camp. And he would tell these stories all the time. And they were great stories of how... People had caught all these fish and what they were using, and uh, I can never, I'll never forget the one time he told us that, that if we were throwing our rubber worms and lizards into the, into the water, we needed to throw them up on the bank because there was a guy that morning who had thrown his up on the bank and drug it down through the sand, and a fish jumped out of the water up on the bank and grabbed it and then flopped back in the water. Those were the kind of stories. You can laugh at that. It's not true, okay, and we didn't believe it. But those were the kind of stories he told. And if you remember back years ago when we had the big storm that came through that, that flooded Charleston really bad and Ripley was flooded really bad, the FedEx trucks were in the paper in Charleston floating at the FedEx place. That year we were in Canada fishing and that made the national news and we had no access to TV but, but they did in their house and, and we came in from fishing one day and this guy comes up to one of the guys that was with us who's from Ripley and he says, aren't you from Ripley, West Virginia? And the guy with us said, yes, I am. He said, gone. He said, what? Gone. It's not there anymore. He said, wiped off the map. Nothing's left standing. It's gone. It's underwater. It's been washed away. He said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, horrible floods. It's gone. I'm telling you, it's no longer there. Well, it was still there. They had some high water, but it was still there. But we were a little bit panicked, thinking that West Virginia had been washed off the map while we were in Canada until we got the news. 
When you look at this eighth church in, in Sardis, you get this, this concept or this idea that, that there are places that have been gone, wiped completely off of the map. As a matter of fact, Sardis and Laodicea as well are uninhabited today. And we don't know exactly what happened, but it is interesting that these are the churches that God has the greatest condemnation for. These are the churches that God is trying to wake up the most. And, and we see this in, in Revelation chapter 3 when God says, look, if you don't wake up, you're not going to exist. If you don't wake up, you're not going to make it into the next generation or two. If you don't wake up, you're going to be gone. <clears throat> I, I, I hate really preaching on this scripture because it seems, like I said, so incredibly negative. But there's really no other way to sum up what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis other than this. The church is dead, and what's not dead is about to die. The church is dead, and what's not dead is about to die. And you have these few that are, are still being faithful, these few that are still doing what God wants them to do. But this is a very grave pronouncement, one that no one wants to believe. As a matter of fact, it says that they believe about themselves that they really are alive. They think that they are the church. They think that they're doing what God wants them to do. They think that they are right in the middle of God's will. We are an alive church. How many churches use the slogan, a church that is alive is what? Worth the drive, right? And, and so, so many churches think that they're alive. I've heard people actually stand in the pulpit and say that we are more alive than any other church in the area. We are a better church than any other church in the area. And that kind of pride usually is a cover for what's really going on. And that is that we are just struggling to survive. That's not God's will for us as individuals spiritually. It's not God's will for the church spiritually. And yet we have churches everywhere that are dying. I've had some experience with this in my lifetime. I have a good friend, a mentor, who said to me one time, I said, this church that I was particularly working with, I said, they're not going to live until the next generation. They won't do anything. All they want to do is just protect everything that they've had from the past. And he looked at me and he said, you would be surprised how long churches in West Virginia can live on life support. And I have been. Year after year after year, nobody's saved. Nobody's baptized. No work's done in the community. And yet the doors stay open and just keep on going and going through the motions and doing the same things over and over again. So, so what's really complicated is, so then how do we really be honest with how alive we are? How do we really take inventory of whether we need to wake up or whether we are already awake, whether we need to hear this grave pronouncement or not? And I would say this, I would say we should always err on the side of caution and not assume that we're alive, but really ask God, wake me up if I need to be brought alive. Let me know if I'm dead or if I am dying. Let me know what I need to do to be the alive Christian. In the live church that you want me to be. So what does it mean for a church to be dead? Well, first of all, they had been alive. There was this time in their history, it's even, it, God even uh, recognizes it here in the scripture, that they were alive. There was this time when they were doing what God wanted them to do. They were being who God wanted them to be. And so they always could remember that time when they were what God wanted. 
It's kind of like going out at night and looking up at the stars in the heavens, right? And you see these bright stars, but, but we know from science that some of those burned out years ago. They don't even exist anymore. We're just seeing the light that has come from them now. And a lot of churches are living on the laurels of their past. A lot of churches continue to talk about everything that they've done in the past. And, and that is the sign that we're alive. And yet, I don't believe that's the way God looks at us. He looks at who we are right now, where we are in the journey right now. There are a lot of people that used to be strong in their faith. There are a lot of people that used to be serving where they needed to serve. There are a lot of people in churches that used to be right where God wants them to be. But the question is, where am I now? I know some people who are in the twilight of their years. They cannot hardly get out of the house. They can't hardly even attend church anymore. They definitely can't go out and work on someone's habitat house. They can't get on a plane and fly to Cuba and go on a mission trip. But every single day, they still are doing what God wants. Because every day they ask, what can I do for you? They pray. They call people. Whatever it is. They're alive in Christ right now. Not talking about what I always used to do, but what I'm called to do today and what God's going to want me to do tomorrow. Go to Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, where Jesus is speaking. And He gives us a little bit more insight in what it means to really be alive. This is the passage where he talks about the church being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. Listen to that. Listen to the seriousness of that. You, you who claim to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are the salt of the earth. But if you if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Your good deeds... And praise your Father in heaven. Now, now what's interesting here is it's very congruent with what Jesus says everywhere else. He's kind of talking about a twofold thing going on here. He's talking about the fact that you're right with God in your heart. There's something in here that's right. You're in a right relationship with God through Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It is manifested and it is seen and it is lived out in the deeds that you do. Right? James talks about this. If faith without works is dead. And so we got a lot of people who, though they're right with God, but you don't see it in anything they do. You go to work on Monday morning and they act like every other employee. You go to, to, out in, on the town on Saturday night and they act like everybody else. Their deeds are no different than the rest of the world. So there's got to be this kind of relationship between what's going on in here and what's going on out here. The community should be able to look at this church and say, I know their heart because I see what they do. And, and, and again, I, I pat you on the back for the things you all do in this community. It is amazing the amount of involvement you have. For the people in the community are looking at you, I know undoubtedly saying they care about us. And we know that not because the preacher stands up and talks about love, 
Not because they teach about it in Sunday school, but because they love people in this community because God has loved them. So the point is that a dead church is a church who is not making a difference. And a dead Christian is a Christian who is not making a difference. A Christian who talks more about themselves than anybody else, who focuses more on themselves than anybody else. Now, now, here's the thing, and you've heard me say this, it's a theme through my preaching, and, and I do it all the time because it's just who I am. And I believe God wants me to share this message. But the fact is, is that way too many of us in the church, even in our own spiritual life, we measure things, we make decisions on what I like. What I want, what I desire. And, and so we look at a church, and, and I have a friend that's looking right now for a church to go to, leaving a church that they've been part of for a long, long time. And every week they update me on how well they like the church they just visited. And every week I say, I don't care how much you like the church. Is God calling you there, and what are you going to do for Him there to make a difference? You don't go to a church because you like it, or you shouldn't. You don't leave a church because you don't like it or you shouldn't, you should go or leave depending on what God has called you to do and what He calls you to do is not what you want to do all the time or what you like to do all the time, but what you need to do because you belong to Him. Does it make sense? Shake your head if you're at all with me this morning, okay? There you go, right? And so what we need to understand is that a dead church is one that's not making a difference, but a live church is one that's making a difference. You say, well, then a live church must have contemporary worship. No. There are dead churches with contemporary worship and live churches with traditional, old-style church worship. Well, a, a, a live church must have a lot of young people. No. There are a lot of live churches, a lot of older people that are on fire for Christ and a lot of younger people churches that are flat dead and vice versa. It has nothing to do with your style of worship or your denomination has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what's in your heart. Are you living out the call that God has placed upon your life? There's a church called the Freedom Biker Church in the South. <clears throat> the church is pastored by guys who preach in blue jeans and Harley Davidson shirts and, and have chain wallets and tattoos on their arms and all, all over the place, actually. And they stand up there and they share the gospel of Christ. And the people in the congregation are an eclectic mix. A lot of them are bikers. A lot of them are ex-convicts. A lot of them are addicts. But then some of them are wealthy people from the neighborhood who have come to support the church. There are older people. There are younger people. And it is absolutely not a church that probably 90% of you in here would want to go to. Most of you probably wouldn't walk in there and go, I like this. This is my kind of church, right? However, they are seeing 10 to 15 to 20 people saved every month in most of their satellite churches. They're baptizing people at a rate that's way above what we are in our mainline denominations. They're reaching people, and the question is, is God pleased with them or not? And I say, absolutely. It might not be what I like, although secretly I will tell you it probably would be, but it might not be what you would like but they are doing what God wants. They are not dead. They are alive. And so what happens if we do this inventory and we go, you know what, God, maybe it is too much about me. Maybe, maybe I am too 
absorbed in what I want, what I desire, what I like. Wake me up. Well, well what happens? Well, well, first of all, it's just very simple in the scripture that the dead are first called to wake up. There has to be this realization that we've been dead. There has to be this realization that I'm not really where God wants me to be. As a matter of fact, that's all the first step of repentance, right? Which he tells us to do. The first step of repentance is admitting where I am so that I can go where God wants me to be. And so the first is the dead are called to wake up. And the great news is, if you are one of these kind of people, or if you happen to know a church that fits into this category, the great news is God does not pronounce a judgment that you are going to die. He pronounces a judgment of hope. That if you wake up, and if you repent, and if you return to what I called you to do, to be who I called you to be and do what I've called you to be, then you can be alive again. And waking up really, uh, when you look at it literally, is really just listening, seeing, seeking God's will. It's really about quit stopping the sleepwalking. It's really about paying attention to what you say and how you say it and what you believe and why you believe it and the needs of the people in the community and what your mind says to you and what your heart says to you. It's really just about being aware of God's presence and God's call. Jesus said, he who has what? Ears to hear, let him hear. One of the saddest things in church today are people who don't hear what God wants them to hear. And they think they're right where God wants them to be. But it's simply because they're not paying attention. Romans 13, 11 through 12 says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I was in my office one time at South Parkersburg Baptist Church and I was talking until I was blue in the face of this person about a sin that they were in and they just kept defending why they were in this sin and they just had blinders on to why their life wasn't going the way they wanted it to go. And I kept saying, well, you might want to think about this. You know, it's very clear in the Bible that you shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, well, you know, but you don't understand where I come from. And, and finally, after just a, kind of a, an exhausting and frustrating 45-minute conversation, they looked at me and they said, I just don't get it. And, and I looked at them and I said, all I can tell you, in, in all the training I've had in counseling and, and all the wisdom I, I've had is this, you've got to get it. You've got to get it. You've got to figure out what's blinding you from seeing what is right in front of your face. And, and this comes naturally, I think, as we see Christ, as we really want to know what Christ wants us to do. I've told you guys a story of, of where I got to where I am now working for a physical therapy company. For those of you who didn't hear it before, I'll sum it up really quick. I've been in a church for 26 years, same church, 26 years. I loved what I was doing. I loved what I was doing the last day I was there and walked out of there. But for, um, for four years in a row, I had been asked to take this position at this physical therapy company. And for three years, I said, no, that's not my calling. And the fourth year, I prayed. For three years, I never prayed. I never one time asked God what he wanted me to do. 
I already knew what God wanted me to do. There is no way God would call someone from being the pastor of the church to working in a physical therapy business. But when I prayed, it was one of the most clear directions I've ever received from the Lord. And it was not only clear from the Lord, but from those that I trust as my mentors, from my wife. All of them were like, yes, I think this makes perfect sense for the way God's working in your life. And I was floored. And I'm like, the only reason it took me four years was because I didn't listen. I already knew what God wanted. How many of you already know what God wants? Man, I've been to church business meetings where everybody seems like they already know what God wants. I've been in Sunday school classes where everybody seems to know what God wants. In deacons meetings where everybody knows what God wants. Well, let me just caution you. When you're so sure of knowing what God wants, stop and pray. And make sure you're listening. Make sure you're seeking. Make sure you're asking. Make sure you really get it. Because there really are two ways to wake up. One is we wise up and we choose to. The other is God does something to make sure we do. Anybody ever have God wake you up? Someone told me one time, if you don't listen for God, He will never speak to where you can hear. Well, that's true a lot of times, but I've had God speak to where I could not help but hear when I chose not to listen. How about you? Something comes down the pike and everything in your life changed? You had a box full of stuff that was important to you? box full of stuff that took all of your attention, all of your time, all of your energy, and with one phone call or visit or one split second, everything in that box wasn't important anymore and it all changed. And God said, wake up. <clears throat> and the third thing is God just chooses to let you sleep. And you miss out on all the blessings that he has. Wake up and then remember. The dead are called to remember. Not to remember their deeds, not to remember their former glory, but what led them to those deeds. What was it in your heart that led you to do those things that you did? What was your motivation to serve? What was your motivation to make a difference? What was your motivation? And when we remember, we remember it's all about Him. How many of you remember when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember those early years? When you were so on fire for the Lord and you were on that battleship and you were like, God, whatever you want me to do. I got a friend in ministry that says, I want to live my life in a way that I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol every minute of the day. Right? And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And I can remember when I was that way. But I also remember when I took a seat on the love boat. And I decided it was okay for everybody else to do the work. I know times in my life when I've decided... I deserve a break. I know times in my life when I've decided, let everyone else take care of those kids. Let everyone else take care of that water problem in the world. Let everyone else do that deacon service. I'm not going to do it. Let everyone else do that. And God says, wake up. Remember why you were so excited in the beginning. It was about me. It was about your relationship and your love for me, your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And we wake up and we're called to remember and it leads us to repentance. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry that my life hasn't made a difference in others. 
I'm sorry that I've allowed you to save me. I've allowed you to serve me, and yet I've served nobody else. I'm sorry as a congregation that I'm wrapped up more in what I like and what I desire than what you want. Even if it's scary, even if it challenges me to go somewhere I don't want to go, even if it challenges me to do something I don't particularly like. Remember and repent. Now for most of you, you probably didn't need to hear this message. Most of you are probably just absolutely, completely alive in Christ today. You came in here and you're so excited. You got up this morning, like Andy said, you got up today and you said, hey, Lord, what can I do for you today? Today's going to be about you. It's not going to be about me. And you came to church and you didn't care about who was preaching. You didn't care about who was up front leading the worship. All you cared about was who you were going to worship today. And you can worship him in spirit and truth no matter who's standing up front and no matter who's sitting in the pew beside of you. And probably most of you are in that situation. Probably most of you already know this week how you're going to reach out into the community, what you're going to do to make a difference in the lives of those who don't have what you have, who need very tangible needs to be met, and who don't know Jesus and need his love shared with them. Most of you probably are that alive. But for those of you who may not be, wake up. You're missing out on the greatest life available to us in this world before we go to eternity with Christ. You see, the world will tell us that sailing on the love boat is awesome. But God will let us know that's emptiness. Make a difference. You've got a mission to fulfill. Wake up, remember, and repent. Join me in prayer.